This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. It's Mailbag Monday. Let's start the show. White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 go. Call your sons! Call your daughters! Holy cow! You can put it on the board! Yeah! yeah. It's a perfect game! Run out, go! Grand slam! A White Sox winner and a world championship! Dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me at Ecknerwall23. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. The show is at Locked on Socks, both on Twitter, Instagram, and at YouTube. Send us a subscription there at YouTube as we have some videos up there. And we'll be periodically releasing videos of this here show. So, Chris Tannehill, how are you doing on this evening? Uh, I'm doing well, Herbie. It's episode 155, and today we're going to do Mailbag Monday, and we're going to begin the show on a little bit of a somber note, uh, as you have thrown your headset, your headphones, and wish you he- which you hear me and speak to me through the Zoom, you have put those uh, headphones in the washer and then in the dryer. So I'm only mentioning it now in case it craps out in the middle of the episode. Now you guys know I'm taking you, I'm pulling back the curtain a little bit so you guys can, uh, you know, a little on-air production meeting here. So, yeah. That's, that's the, what happens with you guys. Uh, that's what happens when you work out. You do oh. dumb things. So I should stop working out. Sweet brag about being healthy. Yeah, good for you. Not not really healthy. It's just <laughs> dumb dumb New Year's things that I'll forget in four months. Uh, but there there is another uh, somber note which we're going to begin tonight. But it won't be somber for long. We're going to have some fun here. Uh, the baseball world uh, lost Tommy Lasorda this week. He, Tommy mm-hmm. Lasorda passes away at 93 years old, uh, living a lot longer than I would have pegged someone like him uh, living, um, you know, uh, just, you know, live life to the fullest. And a big friend of Chicago in general, uh, you know, loved coming to Chicago, loved Connie's Pizza, and just, you know, someone who enjoyed the, the big league lifestyle and is certainly a, an accomplished major league manager. Um Finishing his career with nearly 1,600 wins, right at 1,599 to be exact. Uh, World Series champion. uh, Briefly pitched in the major leagues for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Teammates with Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder. This guy's a baseball lifer, and baseball is going to miss him. And I'm going to regret in 2018, uh, I think I talked to you about this beforehand, but I took the tour Mm -hmm. of Dodger Stadium, and then we went to a Dodger game later that night in our trip to uh, Disneyland that summer. And when you when you're exiting to your car at Dodger Stadium, basically, you know, anyone that's on the press level or the suite level, you know, you're you're, you're hobnobbing and, and, and rubbing elbows with the commoners. There's no the different sectioned off place for those people. Uh, so, you know, everyone just kind of takes the same exit way out of the stadium so you know i remember telling you beforehand like i i gotta get my obligatory chicago media photo op with tommy lasorda where he's like in his wheelchair sort of uh, hunched over and then you have like the you know whoever's taking the picture with him just you know smiling <laughs> ear to ear hunched over like it's always an uncomfortable moment my guy matapatacola's got a photo like that anyone who's italian i'm not italian but anyone who's italian in chicago media has their photo with tommy lasorda and if they're lucky it was before 
before like the year 2000. But uh, so wife and I and, and daughter were walking through on our way out of the uh, out of the ballpark that night, and there he is. Tommy's sitting in his wheelchair, and he's, he was right there for me, and I could have stopped him because we left early. Uh, it wasn't a big crowd leaving that, that at that moment, but uh, I, I missed my opportunity to take a picture with the legend. And I think I regret it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't Tommy Lasorda by then. I mean, he's still alive, but, you know, yeah. ill health the last couple of years, of yeah. course. You know, anybody in their 90s is not going to be the greatest of health. So, yeah, yeah um, I got to meet him, of course, at Connie's Pizza <laughs> when I was producing for North and uh, the Phone. That's exactly he was right. there. I had this, like, bootleg as dodgers jersey i used to wear it's like two-tone like up the top of the shoulders it was like gray and then it like meshes into like dodger blue eventually yeah so i was wearing that that day of course because i knew he was there and i told him to sign it or i asked him to sign it and he (laughs) did and so i actually had him sign that and then just wore that jersey you know in the rotation whenever i did so i still had that jersey with the tommy lasorda um signature on it and, you know and somebody would ask like yeah it's Thomas sort of autograph like why are you wearing it then dummy um but yeah i he saw the earth uh, loves connie's pizza i was not just a thing and carmine's oh, <laughs> oh come to chicago yeah. carmine's yeah good stuff right there in the viagra triangle over there um mm-hmm. so you know i mentioned we got some funny stuff to get to here so that night, though, at, at, at Dodger Stadium, I did see uh, Kanye's guy, Don C., Chicago fashion icon Don C. was there. I said what up to mm. him. So I remember that interaction more so than, the, the, than you know, just passing up on Tommy Lasorda. But, uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda, you know, a very colorful baseball figure, and I wanted to play some stuff here to sort of, you know, whiteboard his, his colorful character traits for you younger listeners out there. And, and guys, maybe you have not stumbled upon this. And also, we have a podcast format here, so it would be pretty wasteful not to play these uncensored rants from Tommy Lasorda here because, uh, you know, we are in the offseason, and we'll get to White Stock stuff in a second. But Tommy Lasorda had some great rants, okay? This guy was a colorful dude, used colorful language. So maybe if you got your kid with you and you're listening, you're in the car, you know, maybe skip ahead till after the commercial break when we get to the mailbag. We're still going to curse then, but it won't. No, be. let your kid, let your kid hear it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's going to hear it somewhere. Who better than the Lockdown White Sox podcast um, and Hall of Famer Tommy Lasorda too? Exactly, exactly. So uh, there is uh, one moment here uh, that, that I forgot that existed. It's a short one, but you remember when uh, Donald Sterling sort of uh, you know had his moment there? I think it was 2016, and. His, his then-girlfriend, uh, I think her name was V. Steviano, uh, taped yeah. him saying things about Magic Johnson and uh, other uh, African-American people of note. And uh, mm-hmm. he lost his franchise, and it was a turning point uh, in the NBA's history. Uh, it was like Adam Silver's first uh, sort of uh, issue as NBA commissioner. He handled it very well, very well-respected, unlike other sports commissioners that we know. Uh, but uh, Tommy Lasorda was asked because he was friends with Donald Sterling. And, th- again, this is a guy in his late 80s giving uh, a- a exactly the response that you would, you would, you would want to get from anyone, but very surprising one from someone in his late 80s. But there's a little uh, a little curve here at the end, a little little twist and turn in, in his response to Donald Sterling. I've been a friend of that guy for 30 years. It doesn't surprise me that he said those things, and he shouldn't have said it. He just hurt himself by talking too much and doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And I tell you, I don't wish that girl any bad luck, but I hope she gets hit with a car. <laughs> 
just that's classic. I, oh, I nominated God. that for quarter of the year back on Boars and Bernstein. I had it in the nominees, and I'm surprised that that one didn't win. I think that one lost out to John Lackey's. Uh, we're not here for a haircut, uh, but that's like a sneaky favorite one that you won't hear a lot of. But that's why I have my audio vaults here opened up for old Tommy, and uh, you may remember him most. 1988 World Series. It's burned in my baseball brain. You know, he sends Kirk Gibson up to pinch it in the ninth inning off Dennis Eckersley, the great Vince Scully call. You guys know it well. But, you know, the image that I have, you know, along with Kirk Gibson pumping his fist as he's as he's rounding uh, second base is Tommy Lasorda euphorically just jumping out of the dugout and bouncing up and down and just he's in disbelief and he's hugging his players but uh, I guess he caught some some flack back in the day in 1988 about how he handled that and how he, he didn't mask his emotion and here's what he said about a, a daily news reporter who questioned his enthusiasm I'm the happiest son of a bitch in the world and that son of a bitch who writes under that daily news that fucking guy they call the fucking nose who says that shit me jumping up and down is horse shit you want to let him feel like i have who the fuck is that cocksucker anyway some fucking guy to write with a new york daily news called the fucking nose he said well sort of jumping up and down that's the fucking way i feel when my team wins and if i fucking want to jump up and down when my fucking team wins and if i want to hug my fucking players when they fucking do good i'm gonna do it i don't give a shit what the fucking nose says <laughs> <laughs> just sticking the landing too and above all he's right this is one of the iconic yes. moments in baseball history and imagine being a reporter in 1988 and saying no i didn't like that you know i know it is the grand old game and you know it's a certain decorum uh, you know is expected but jesus christ you look at all that i know you're looking yeah. back at it now like you know uh, thirty plus years ago, like that is one of the iconic moments in the game's history, and there he was, just enjoying it every second and sticking the landing and, and being right all, all these years later. Oh yeah, like who's writing articles about c- celebrations? Firstly, on the World Series or for a game-winning home run? No, bullcrap. And I remember Tommy, uh, <laughs> like you know, he consulting. You know, he like I can feel vindicated if you're Tommy Lasorda. You're like. Man, I didn't play this dude, and then when it was time, he gave me a quality at bat. I put him up there to do that, and he did the job that he had to do. I feel great about my decision. I feel great about Kirk Gibson. I feel great about my team winning the first game of the World Series. We haven't won one since 81. We need to get back and do this thing. And so, yeah, who was that person to write an article that said, "Mm, too much celebrating? If Tommy would have did cartwheels after the game i'm like that's that's appropriate <laughs> there was no there's no governor on celebrations ever it shouldn't be and then secondly on in the world series come on now now if you would have done cartwheels that would have been you know you talk about <laughs> in a year of the improbable uh, that being impossible <laughs> that would have been more memorable than kirk gibson's home run the closest we ever got i suppose was in the all-star game i think it was 01 in seattle where he took a yeah. tumble uh, down the third baseline but there that was, was beautifully done by you sir uh, nicely woven in there yeah um another there's two more rants here i want to play this one's a little bit shorter so june 4th 1976 Mets at Dodgers. Mets scuffling a little bit. They had a young Dave Kingman on the team who went on to uh, become a big-time power hitter with the Cubs, and he hits three home runs against the Dodgers that day at Dodger Stadium, and a reporter had the audacity to ask Tommy what he thought of Kingman's performance. What's your opinion of Kingman's performance? Of course, 
my opinion of Kingman's performance. What the fuck you think is my opinion of it? I think it was fucking horseshit. Put that in. I don't fucking opinion of his performance. Jesus Christ, he beat us with three fucking home runs. What the fuck do you mean? What is my opinion of his performance? How can you ask me a question like that? What is my opinion of his of, of his performance? Jesus Christ, he hit three home runs. Jesus Christ. I'm fucking pissed off to lose a fucking game. And you ask me my opinion of his performance. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a tough question to ask me, isn't it? What? Yeah, I would say so. How about the, that question? You're, you're, you're coming in hot there in the post-game presser asking, what is your opinion of a guy hitting three home runs against you? Like, what do you, I mean, granted, it, it was a good question because it yielded that response, but Jesus Christ, man, <laughs> what a question to ask the man. Yeah, I don't, I just don't know, like, what, what response would he want? <laughs> what was he expecting? Like, he knows who Tommy Lasorda is, and hitting three home runs against his team probably wouldn't please him probably a better question there is like hey tommy well, yeah did you think about walking keeman after he hit this two home runs yeah there you go look at you something like that <laughs> and then you get maybe he'll he'll go off there but then you're asking a legitimate question about what his strategy was you know if you were thinking about it and why didn't you type of thing as almost 50 years ago and i guess you know today Jesus. guys will say talk about so I think oh, yeah. if, if they would have been like, uh, Tommy, talk about Kingman's three home runs. <laughs> so talk about. What the fuck do you mean talk about? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, finally here, there's, this one is my – it's literally my personal favorite, and I think it's it's right up there for you too. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite baseball rant of all time. Now, you could talk to me all day long about the Earl Weaver quote-unquote rant that he did, you know, uh, on the Baltimore Orioles radio fucking network. But, you know, it, it was a bit. They were just goofing around. It was awesome, and it was hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite baseball clips ever. But it wasn't a genuine in-the-moment rant. Uh, this here, in the heat of the moment after uh, an incident involving Kurt Bavakwa, if you listen here, there's a, two or three things in here that – we still use to this day um, in terms of baseball things you say about people and, and players that are no good. Take a listen to this rant. It's my favorite baseball rant of all time, courtesy of the late, great Tommy Lasorda. Tell you what I think about it. I think that is very, very bad for that man to make an accusation like that. That is terrible. I have never, ever, since I've managed, ever told a pitcher to throw at anybody nor will I ever. And if I ever did, I certainly wouldn't make him throw at a fucking 130 hitter like LeFay or fucking Bavacqua who couldn't hit water if he fell out of a fucking boat. And I guarantee you this, when I pitched, and I was going to pitch against a fucking team that had guys on it like Bavacqua, I sent a fucking limousine to get the cocksucker to make sure he was in the motherfucking lineup because I kicked that cocksucker's ass any fucking day in a week. He's a fucking motherfucking big mouth, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and as the years go on, I find different parts about that thing funny. But, the you know, couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. Classic baseball thing that I attribute to him, to Tommy. I'm sure it was said before then, but that's like when I first heard it. And, of course, sending a limousine to pick someone up just to make sure that they were in the lineup. Just just two great baseball things, uh, courtesy of Tommy Lasorda, right there. I love that tape, that piece of tape right there. 
And to give a little context, the reason why, one of the main reasons I think that Tommy went off on Purple Vacqua that strongly is because Purple Vacqua had said that little fat Italian did that because he was talking about his pitcher getting hitting LaFay. And that's when you heard the, the I wouldn't hit LaFay or La Bavacqua. <laughs> Bavacqua was like, yo, Tommy, the little fat Italian. He called him a little fat Italian. And, you know, very derogatory uh, statement there. And so, and I met Kurt Bavacqua. I used to work with him out the Mighty 1090. Oh, and, and let me wait. Single, let, let me guess. Is that his thing where people like always ask him about Tommy and then he'll like have a, a finely, you know, homespun, you know, anecdote about Tommy? Like, is that his thing out there? Like, do, do, I, is that synonymous? is what I'm saying. Like, if you're a Padre person, do you associate him with the Lasorda rant like we do? I don't think so, because I know you played that before I left for um, San Diego, and yeah. so I had that in my head. That's <laughs> well, two things I had about Kurt Bavacqua in my head. He was always at those celebrity golf events that Mike North would have, like with uh, your man Tom Dreesen would have a celebrity <laughs> golf event. Kurt Bavacqua was in the house, so that's because I remember seeing his name, I was like what the how the hell do you say that name? And then when you played that rant on the score, I was had that in my mind when he was doing pre and post for uh, the Mighty 1090 San Diego Padres game. Sweetheart of a dude, and so I didn't know if that like I heard that I was like, ooh, we he probably doesn't like Tommy Lasorda. I mean, already being a Padre, they don't like them already. And I'm not going to ask him not a goddamn time. I'm sure he would probably be like, yeah, it was funny. Tommy's hilarious. I love that clip. I love what it's played for me type of thing. But I was not going to take a chance. I was new there. So I haven't asked Kurt about his feelings on Tommy Lasorda, but I'm sure it wasn't great. Yeah, I wonder if, if Kurt Bavacqua has some way to spin that, you know, when he's talking to people about it. Because, you know, when people say that he couldn't hit water or if he fell out of a boat, you know, I'm looking at Kurt Bavacqua's baseball reference page right now and a negative four player in his career. Um, but he I wonder, like, that shit was right. But, but I wonder if he's ever like, oh, hey, I, I had a 333 on base in 1982. I wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Um, but, yeah, there you have it. The late great uh, Tommy Lasorda. He, he will be missed. And they don't make him like that anymore, man. Especially this day and age, you're just not going to hear stuff like that. I guess the equivalent, I was trying to think of this, like find a White Sox angle here. There really is none, but it's basically, you know, Tommy Lasorda was like our Ozzie Guillen for Dodgers mm -hmm. fans. Like that's the only comp, you know, uh, you know, you know, accomplished manager, colorful figure, ambassador for your team. You know, he's these are Ozzy Guillen. So that's yeah, why still hangs around after he's not managing anymore. Exactly. F fans clamor for him all the time yes. to, to manage, even though he's done managing. Well, Ozzy, not in this case. But yeah, I think about Tommy, and when he did pass, I was like, you know, that's probably perfect timing for Tommy because he said he's going to be a Dodger for life. When he dies, he's going to go up to the big Dodger blue heaven. And the last game he saw was a Dodgers World Series victory. So pretty good. Gotta love it. All right, we'll be back. Coming up, we got the mailbag. Uh, we got the White Sox missing another great opportunity in free agency, and there's so much more here on Locked on White Sox. Stay with us. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by betonline.ag. You guys ready for some football? The College Football National Championship's coming up, and there's some huge NFL postseason matchups there for you. The, the 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 big field is is whittling down and you know it got some early lines here I'll get to in a second but there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust and that's betonline.ag sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use our promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus if, if you heard us talk about it 
last week. I talked about that Buffalo and Indy game, hitting that over there. You cashed in if you followed my advice. They, they that you know, pound that over, uh, and thankfully that Bears uh, <laughs> spread there at ten and a half. We thought Ugh. that we thought that was too much. Oh no, they knew what they were doing there, even with the late. Jimmy Graham touchdown right there. Uh, but take a look at some early lines here for uh, next weekend. I'm looking at L.A. Green Bay. Now, right now, Packers only a seven-point favorite there. You know, you got a West Coast team coming into Lambeau. That's, yeah, that seems easy right there. Uh, what about you? I, I, I'm inclined to go uh, Packers covering that one easily. What, what, what are the things you're looking at? Are you playing on the uh, national championship game at all, Herb? What, what we got going on? Well, I'm looking at that Sunday game since we just saw the Saints. So it's going to be a Sunday night game. It's the third matchup of the year, the Tampa Bay Bucks versus the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans has handled the Bucks. I mean, they've, they're one and one in their series. So New Orleans beat them, I think, 35 to three earlier in the year, just a total domination. And what we saw from the Orleans Saints today versus the Bears was pretty much what they've been doing in the second half of the season where their defense has played much better than they did in the first half. So I'm looking at the betonline.ag line of negative three for the uh, Saints giving up three at the crib. Give me all, that all day long. The Saints, while I don't think they're a great team, they match up well with the Bucks. They played them a couple times this year. And I think, you know, the Saints at full strength now as they are, We'll have uh, covering that three points they're uh, laying right there. Yeah, I think that's a good call right there, especially with getting Kamara back, getting Michael Thomas back. This was basically like a scrimmage for them against the Bears yesterday. Uh, so don't sit on the sidelines anymore, folks. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKDOWN and get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And we're also brought to you today by Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar. Ever. And somehow, someway, Built Bar keeps coming up with funky fly flavors like every single day. And they're even delicious errors, if that was even possible. They've got 18 amazing flavors, including the six new flavors that you guys have come to know about here. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And don't forget, they still have the 12 classics that you know and love so well. Also, you got mint brownie. Orange, toffee, almond, coconut, peanut butter brownie. You've heard me in professing my love for German chocolate. They got that too. Built Bars are always covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and so easy to chew. They're not all grainy and, and tough like a lot of those other protein bars that you may have had on the market. They're great if you're trying to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious snack. If you're doing the keto diet, they're perfect for that because they are low-calorie, low-carb, low-sugar, but high in protein. Head over to BuiltBar.com right now. If there's someone in your life who's trying to get an early start on a 2020 New Year's resolution or someone who you know loves a good, healthy snack, get over to BuiltBar.com right now because you can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Give the gift of Built Bar this year, why don't you? And don't forget our promo code Locked On. That'll get you 20% off your next order once again that's promo code locked on for 20 percent off at builtbar.com built bar it's the best tasting protein bar ever all right back here on locked on white Sox, herb lawrence and chris Tannehill with you 2020 is mercifully over it's time for a fresh start and a few more wins if you're betting this year and want more wins listen to locked on bets with your boy q and lee sterling of paramount sports they're picking college hoops, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked on Bets wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Herbie, shall we open the bag? 
Let's do it. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And we love your emails. How can they get in touch with us, Herbie, to get their email read on Mailbag Monday, Talk to Us Tuesday, or What Up Wednesday on occasion? How can they do that? Send it to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com with your questions, comments, whatever you want to write us. We will read them. Not all of them make it to our episodes. All right. Well, leading us off tonight is our guy, Mike Victor. I figured I'd uh, switch it up here, let, let Mike lead off tonight. He's, uh, he, he's very strong, very potent in the leadoff spot, and he's got a question that was very much top of mind in our, our, our Saturday morning text conversation that you and I had. Mike writes this. So I was pursuing Andrew Vaughn's minor league stats, and while I know it was just one season, I'm not all that impressed with his 760 OPS and three homers in Winston-Salem in 2019. Considering the Sox are in their championship window, I'm troubled they seem to be set on Andrew Vaughn and his right-handed bat in the primary DH role for next year. Shouldn't the lefty batting DH be priority number 1B after a top-tier closer? I could live with a righty DH if it was someone like Marcelo Zuna, but not so sure. Not sure why they aren't going after Michael Brantley, who can play right field and DH. And how much do you think it would take to sign a guy like that? Will the Sox spend any more money? Please. Uh, that's from our guy Mike Victor. And you know, I'll, you know, I'll let you you start off here, but. The White Sox missed an opportunity to sign exactly the type of player, not Michael Brantley himself, but the type of player that you could slide in the DH spot, a left-handed bat, who a uh, former Chicago uh, player, and now he's going to be playing elsewhere in 2021. Yeah, when Kyle Schwarber signed with the National, I was like, ugh, it's only like an $8 million deal, I think, with a $2 million buyout. I was like, this would be the perfect player, even if you want to platoon him. You know, just face him versus right-handers and let see, let him go to work as DH slash uh, left hand uh, left fielder slash right fielder, whatever you want to do with him. That would have been a perfect thing. The Nationals, I think, are going to get a great performance out of him because it's a walk year. He's still in his prime, and I'm looking for 40 bombs. I think I tweeted it or texted you right when they signed that uh, deal with the Nationals. But yeah, I would be looking for something in the DH spot. 100%. I love Andrew Vaughn. And I said that may, probably he's probably going to be the guy that they're defending on to get most of the DH bats if they don't sign anybody. But he hasn't hit over high A, I believe, in 2019. Last year he was all at the Schomburg Complex. So I'm not sure if you're going to give him 150 games in the major leagues when he hasn't hit over uh, single leg so you need to get a guy in here and you know me and steven nelson who has been on this show who works at the mlb network is pounding the table and standing on top of it and jumping up and down for them to get michael brantley how much could he cost he's in his mid-30s and probably not looking for uh breaking the bank type of money and if he was give it to him he's the perfect guy to have on any team much less the White Sox, who would use his talents so perfectly, like a guy who gets on con- gets contact all the time and with power. Oh, that right center field or left center field stroke that he has just just goes out of the ballpark all the time. Imagine him on road games uh, in Minnesota. Oh my God, just oh. killing it into left center field where Byron Buxton usually chases it down, but no, he can't get it because 
Michael Brantley's hitting it so hard. But yeah, that would be my dream. But um, uh, if we got to settle for Marcelo Zuna, just a right-hander, count me in too. Shit, there's a lot of options out here. I'm just tired of the White Sox and all the rest of these teams taking their time, dragging their feet. Yeah. I, I think pitchers and catchers report in like 35 days. Yeah, that's not going to actually happen. But yeah, I, I applaud Mike Rizzo uh, for making the move right there and not – you know, given the guy his his market value, albeit just for one year, that's a pretty good signing. Uh, it's a nice dough for Kyle Schwarber, and I think he's going to do great. Uh, and I think the White Sox maybe are going to say, "Man, we should have you know maybe made that move right there." Because you know, I was not high on on bringing Kyle Schwarber to the South Side until you sort of talked me into it, and then I realized like how perfect of a fit he was. You know, because of all the things you just mentioned. And back to the Andrew Vaughn dilemma, you know, I. We're trying to hold the White Sox to their own standard here. You know, you trade for Lance Lynn, uh, you trade prospects for Lance Lynn, highly regarded prospects for one year of Lance Lynn, and now all of a sudden you're going to try and tell me that you're going to just, you know, give the DH spot to one of your first round picks who hasn't played much in the lower levels. And granted, I liked what I saw from him in his his brief time in spring ball. I thought he looked good. I, I like his, you know, his stroke, and I think he's going to be a good player for the White Sox or for someone else if they decide to trade him. But I, I just find it weird, like you know, if you're if you're being aggressive and you're going for it, you know, why take the chance when there are so many great free agent options out there for you? Why roll the dice and, and have a, uh, you know, you, you could barely even call him a, a rookie. This isn't a guy that was knocking on the door. Uh, you know, at double or triple A, you know, looked like he was ready. Like, you know, we, we have no sample size here of him really uh, playing in the minor league. So, you know, you would have to rely heavily on your scouting department, which for the White Sox is not always a good thing. And it just the, to me that, that that would bother me when you have, you know, all these proven commodities around you in the lineup. And maybe they could withstand because they have so much offensive, you know, firepower with Eloy and and Luis Robert, hopefully, and Abreu, and you know everyone else in the lineup. It's a strong lineup, so it, you talk about a warm nest for someone to settle into. And Andrew Vaughn, <clears throat> I think you know it, it could work certainly, but in a year like this, when you're in your World Series window, I, I would not leave it to chance, and I would make him prove it to me with some minor league ball in the in the season. Get his, you know, just get him back to getting in the habit of playing baseball again, like. To go to go from single A and then not playing at all to all of a sudden you're in a major league lineup like it doesn't make sense on paper, you know. But for the White Sox, I'm sure it makes sense for them financially. But I don't even know if they want to start his clock, you know. So there's a lot that goes into this. Like, do they want to be cheap in the short term, you know, which they always like doing, or do they want to like save a buck in the long term? So they're going to have to deal with that. And there's certainly some good options out there. But yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Your your instincts are right here. We, we don't think that's the right move either, and we just wish they would, uh, you know, I, I, maybe they, they have priorities, I'm sure. They want to get that closer spot locked down, but that doesn't, they can multitask. Like, I would love to have Michael Brantley too, like, especially the guy with injury history like he has. Like, just have him just be a DH and have his professional left-handed approach. I would love that as an option too. And maybe for an older player like him with, with injury issues, maybe he'll be like one of the last guys to be signed, and maybe the White Sox can – turn that uh, into a fortuitous situation for them. But, yeah, thank you, Mike, as always, for the email. Uh, finally here, wrapping it up, uh, we'll get to some more of your emails tomorrow. Uh, we got Sam in Hinsdale, who always checks in. Uh, his question is this. It seems like the Cubs are headed towards a full-on rebuild with the U Darvish trade. It's got me thinking. 
If the Cubs were to put Kyle Hendricks on the trade market next offseason, do you think we could acquire him in a similar package without giving up our top prospects like how the Padres did? His team-friendly contract slash consistent production probably makes him on level with guys like Jose Quintana before he got traded to the Cubs. So I don't think we have to give up the farm for him. Anyway, what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, that's Sam in Hinsdale. Thank you, Sam, for checking in. Herb, Kyle Hendricks, um, would I like him on my team? Yes. To get him, um, firstly, I think the Cubs Sox thing is not going to work out. Like, there's still some things there. Jed is still there. He was part of the uh, group that traded away Eloy. So they might not do that anymore. And then crosstown trades come rarely, especially with big names like this. But say if the Cubs are willing to do it you probably wouldn't have to give up too many guys. Uh, I'm looking Kyle's contract doesn't look too prohibitive. So, so you can just go out and get them. You have some cost control there with Kyle Hendricks, but uh, let's see, you wouldn't have to give up a big time prospect. You saw exactly what the Padres did and the Cubs are willing to accept that for their best pitcher. I think you can get, Kyle Hendricks out of there for somebody that's not on your top list, not your top 10. I mean, the Padres got you Darvish and um, what's his name? I forget his name. Caratini. You got you Darvish and Caratini for the, I think, 9, 11, 13, and 15th best prospects in a Padres stacked, stacked Padres system. And the White Sox are not as good as that. I think you wouldn't have to give up any of your top guys, no Copex, no Madrigals, maybe not even a Stever. You might have to you go down to lower level A guys who haven't even sniffed in major leagues and they're just looking for lottery tickets, pretty much just like the lottery tickets that uh, the, the Cubs got from the Padres. So I'm very positive. And, and, and having Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies on the same team to me is redundant. And you can throw a, uh, Mills in there too so maybe they're more willing to get rid of uh, one of those guys and see if what uh, type of return they can get but I don't think you would have to break the uh, prospect bank to receive a Kyle Hendricks in the south side. Yeah I don't think so either and you know one thing I do always look at with Kyle Hendricks especially this year but just anecdotally I always feel like always much better in Wrigley Field than he is on the road you know I don't mm-hmm. know if it's because that's just the way his stuff profiles like it's, a, it's all about comfort and location and things like that you know but uh, on the road in 2020 he had a great season in 2020 um, uh, 1.9 war uh, with a 288 earned run average but on the road in in 2020 he had a, an ERA over four but at Wrigley it was under two at 1.85 so that's always something that's been weird but this you know the guy's control plays you know you wouldn't have to give up a lot to give him and you think about Avery Weems who was uh, dealt in the Lance Lynn trade that was a guy that wasn't on many of our radars you know we're not you know prospect guys like some of our guys like James Fox and Mike Rankin and, and those guys so we don't know about a lot of these guys that are like you know uh, you know in the terms of prospect depth in the organization but it certainly seems like anyway that the White Sox farm system and, and pitchers have been you know uh, sought after in, in recent years like they have been shown to to develop some pitching or at least develop them enough to to get people to want to trade for them so maybe you can find another guy like that uh, to, to make a deal like that happen you know I, you know 
I, I never know. I, I, I always trust my I try to trust my instinct with a guy like Kyle Hendricks that you know that the art of pitching never changes really. It's pounding the strike zone, control, keeping guys off balance. So I, my gut says that will always play no matter what league he's in, what team he's playing for. Like he's going to be able to pitch, you know, well into his 30s, you would think. Um, but yeah, but you always worry about a guy like that. He's 31 now, which is a lot older than I thought he was. So that's something to think about as well. But yeah, if, if he's on your team in the next two or three seasons while you're in, in the window, yeah, sure. You know, it, it, would, it would be nice. But hopefully, and big time hopefully here, hopefully someone like Michael Kopech is forcing the issue and you won't have to, you know, pay him a lot of money and, you know, he'll be able to take a spot in the rotation as opposed to making a trade for someone else. But yeah, thank you, Sam. I always enjoy your contributions. And uh, that about does it here for this Mailbag Monday edition of Locked on White Sox. We only got to two of your emails, so we'll get to more later this week. But uh, that's all I got tonight, Herbie. All right. So that's Chris Tannehill. Follow him at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. Me, Ecknerwall23 is the way you follow me. The show is at Locked on Socks on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. You should subscribe to us. Give us a a rating, I think. Can you do ratings on there? I'm old, man. But give us, subscribe to us, hit the <laughs> notification bell. So whenever we drop a video, Chris puts together a 2020 uh, special for, of all the plays that happened in 2020 that were shocking and great for the White Sox. Go there right now and watch it for Locked On Sox. Uh, that's on our YouTube page. Don't forget Instagram to promote our. Don't forget to promote our uh, parlor page. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yes, uh, we are on parlor. It's at uh, Freedom for Everybody. Socks. Oh, five. Oh, five. Oh, five. Socks. Freedom. <laughs> um, but yes, and Tanny has decided very nicely to give away a special White Sox, Locked on Sox prize pack. Yes. Every time we hit 100 followers or subscribers on the YouTube the YouTube, like the, the Facebook, uh, <laughs> he will send out or select a random person and send out a prize pack from Locked on Socks. So go and subscribe. Call your friend. Ask that person to subscribe to Locked on Socks YouTube page. So go there now. Um, and we will be getting on that uh, parlor uh, response as soon as we can get on the website because apparently he's having troubles today. Yeah. I don't know why. All right. So for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this Mailbag Monday edition of Locked on Socks.